This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Broadcasters have always ha- um, been required to operate within a regulatory framework that does impose some regulatory costs because um, in Canada we have uh, the CRTC, which is a public interest regulator, and our mandate is to make sure that the ultimate beneficiaries of uh, the broadcasting activities in the country are the artists and the creators uh, that produce uh, the, the content. So um, I and guess... Viewing, I apologize. May I interrupt? And the viewing public, not just the artists and the creators, but as a public entity, you're also concerned with the viewing public. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, we have many broadcasters in Canada who have business models that are advertising only as well. That was CRTC Vice Chair of Broadcasting, Alicia Barron, last week during the Commission's hearing on Bill C-11. The CRTC just concluded a three-week hearing on the first phase of implementing the law with a focus on the prospect of new interim payments that would be made by internet streaming services. The result was predictable, with just about everyone lining up to make their case for cash. The perspective of some commissioners throughout the hearing comes through in this opening clip, where the public is largely absent from its vision of the public interest, given the astonishing need to remind a commissioner of the importance of viewers. I must admit that that exchange was somewhat similar to my own experience. I appeared for the first time before the CRTC on that same day. As I tried to make the case that it should prioritize competition, consumer choice, and affordability, and recognize that this new emerging system brings with it risks of market exit or higher prices for consumers. This week's episode takes you inside the Commission hearing for my opening statement and exchanges with the full panel of Commissioners. It starts with my opening statement. Good morning. Uh, My name is Michael Geist. I'm a law professor at the University of Ottawa where I hold the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law. I appear in a personal capacity representing only my own views. I was very engaged in the legislative process around Bill C-10 and later C-11 with multiple appearances before House and Senate committees. However, this is the first time that I've appeared before the CRTC. What prompted me to do so? Well, I'd say that while many of my concerns, such as discoverability, algorithmic regulation, minimum content requirements, and modernized CanCon definitions are still to come, uh, the interests of individual Canadians, I think, deserves far more attention. I don't pre- pretend to represent anyone other than myself, but in my research and work in the area, I've developed a growing appreciation and understanding of the impact of internet regulatory policy on competition and consumer choice. Now, these are all issues that are found in the Broadcasting Act's policy objectives and in the government's policy direction. Yet with a handful of notable exceptions, there are relatively few witnesses over these three weeks who speak to them. Instead, respectfully, the hearing is treated by many as a cash grab to inject new funding into a myriad of policy priorities with limited discussion of the risks for consumers and competition. I'd like to highlight some of the risks and urge the Commission to prioritize public over private interests, which I think means putting Canadians at the centre of their communication system, as one chair once characterized it. Despite record spending on film and television production in Canada and now new Canadian legislation that will provide broadcasters with tens of millions of dollars in support of news production, 
I've heard many witnesses battling over whose situation is the most in crisis. I don't think there's much doubt who faces the biggest crisis right now. It's Canadian consumers facing inflation, higher interest rates, and oftentimes pricey communication services. Internet streaming services are not policy ATMs that can be subject to unlimited withdrawals. There are consequences to new regulatory costs and mandated contributions, particularly if they are set at rates that are outliers when compared to global standards or require support for policies or activities that fall far outside the core of the streamer's business activities. These consequences raise at least two risks. One I'd argue is market exit. As I'm sure you're aware, that's precisely what I think has occurred in the context of the Online News Act, where what amounts to uneconomic regulatory payments by Meta led to exit existing deals, led Meta to exit existing deals, block news links, and create enormous harm for both Canadians and Canadian news outlets. Last week's announced deal with Google was clearly driven by a desire to avoid a similar outcome. Yet it too will leave some outlets receiving less than before the introduction of Bill C-18. In the context of internet streaming services, there have been cases of market exits elsewhere in light of regulatory costs. That includes the Denmark experience, where mandated payments significantly above what most EU countries had established led to a significant reduction in domestic film and TV production. There are many services not participating in this hearing, but which provide increased choice to consumers and often serve communities that do not otherwise have domestic alternatives. Regulatory payments or requirements could lead to market exit, and I think they should be avoided with a do-no-harm prism applied to thresholds. The $10 million threshold may work for registration and data collection, but a higher number, such as $50 million, to truly capture the web giants, as the government often framed it, I think is more appropriate for mandated contributions. The second risk involves increased costs that are ultimately passed on to consumers. I don't doubt for a moment that the large streaming services are positioned to contribute, though I believe that the appropriate taxation measures, such as a digital services tax, is a better vehicle for doing so. However, the notion of free money for various policy objectives is not free and is likely to be borne primarily by Canadian consumers. I've long believed that regulatory payments or contributions were largely premised on a quid pro quo that went far beyond mere market access, which I think is best addressed through fair taxation policies that are applicable to all market participants. Justifying mandated broadcaster or BDU payments is often linked to regulatory policies such as mandated carriage or simultaneous substitution that is worth hundreds of millions of dollars to the industry. But in the case of internet streaming services, these regulatory benefits don't exist and tying companies for, to payments for objectives such as news that are largely disconnected from the services they run, I think run the risk of either market exit, delayed market entry for new competitors, or costs that are ultimately passed along to Canadian consumers. Finally, limiting the risk of increased consumer costs, I think, is therefore essential. I think that means falling within the 1% to 2% range that's more common in Europe for those EU member states that have mandated some form of payment, which I think would be ideally implemented once the full scope of the Bill C-11 regulatory model is fully developed, not on this interim basis as currently envisioned. I believe it also means avoiding mandating funding for policies or activities that have little to do with the underlying streaming service. Indeed, cross-industry subsidy models is precisely why it's better to wait until a full framework is developed. Thanks for, your opp thanks for the opportunity to present, and I look forward to your questions. With the opening statement done, CRTC Chair Vicky Atreides turned it over to Commissioner Joanne Levy. 
Levy was clearly a skeptic of much of what I had to say. The following exchange was the start of what became one of the more contentious of the three-week hearing, beginning with the definition of social media services. Well, thank you very much, Professor Geist. It's truly hard to believe that this is your first time appearing before the CRTC, given how engaged you are in the CRTC's work. Uh, we're happy to have you. Um, I will turn things over to Commissioner Levy to start with the questioning for the commission. Good morning. And as this is your first time here, we will, as with all interveners, be gentle. Um, I'm going to start with um, uh, some questions that uh, relate to ensuring that we have certain information on the record of the proceeding. So uh, I'd like to start uh, first with um, applicability. Uh, Regarding your proposed definition of social media services as, quote, platforms that predominantly consist of third-party user contributions, uh, unquote, can you elaborate on whether all users of user-generated content should be considered equally? For instance, should Disney, Bell, Wild Brain, other media companies be considered users? I, I think it's a I, well. I would I would start by saying, the the challenge within that question highlights why I was vocal in expressing the view that this ought to be excluded from the legislation altogether, so that we would not have to get into some of these more challenging questions and these dividing lines. I think it's pretty clear, and I think that the commission has has heard from any number of commercial outlets that nevertheless operate in a space that largely is in that user content space. And so admittedly, it's, it's a challenging divided line. It's easy when we are talking about individuals doing so for non-commercial purposes. We already have sought to define that in Canadian legislation, for example, in copyright law with the non-commercial user-generated content exception that exists under copyright. In other contexts, though, it does seem to me the goal here is particularly to ensure that new digital creators, as well as uh, individuals themselves are the ones that are excluded and I would at a minimum say that if you had an entity that is already scoped into your legislation by virtue of the threshold the notion that their content might be excluded because it appears on on one of those platforms wouldn't make a whole lot of sense it seems to me that uh, if they are caught by the legislation they're caught by the legislation Commissioner Levy then moved to the central issue of the hearing a mandated contribution from internet streaming services she started with the question of the risk of market exit and the availability of new funding, not only for legacy producers, but also emerging digital creators. Let's talk about contributions. Um, and uh, you've highlighted Denmark's 6% contribution proposal, um, which uh, you believe is the primary reason for a 40 to 50% reduction in media production in Denmark. Um, but uh, we've had previous interveners who've said that uh, that's not an issue at all. Um, the level of contribution is, is not going to, uh, you know, create market exit in the Canadian market um, due to the very established situation here with um, the uh, online streamers. Um, 
So in, in terms of uh, Denmark and some of the others that might have seen changes in the production level, um, is it not uh, just as likely that there are other factors that have, have weighed into the reduction in um, production? For instance, um, disagreements over rights and, uh, and uh, those sorts of issues. I think that those kinds of decisions are, of course, always going to be multifactorial. That's, that's one of the reasons why I think we're far better off completing the C11 regulatory framework so that the full costs and scope of the regulatory process are understood and it's much easier to make what are ultimately long-term decisions. Writing stuff in pencil for companies that make decisions on decade-long bases often doesn't work particularly well and I think certainty is better in that regard. I do think the data that we've seen with immediate responses in cutting back significantly or exiting production in that country that seemed to be directly linked to the contribution is pretty clear cut. But to me, it isn't solely about the contribution. It is about the regulatory costs, which is why I emphasize that in my opening statement. We can look to Uruguay, where Spotify has now announced they are exiting the market in several weeks due to regulatory costs that are arriving out of copyright could look at what we just experienced now in Canada with exiting a particular aspect, not necessarily exiting the market altogether, but exiting the market in terms of a certain part of a service, in Facebook's case, stopping distribution of news links. We've seen stopping distribution of news in other jurisdictions as well as a result of some of those regulatory costs. And so I guess my, my view would be that, of course, organizations are going to respond to regulatory costs, oftentimes that's exactly what we want them to do. We want them to respond to regulation. We have environmental rules hoping that they are going to respond to those environmental rules. And to think that we could establish a whole range of rules here without any sort of consequences that we've great creators and good tax breaks and so the equation and the analysis will remain the same um, strikes me as pretty unlikely. Well, Uruguay, Denmark, they hardly compare to Canada's situation where we're the fourth largest uh, provider of production uh, locations and, uh, uh, you know, our contribution to the, to the online streamers and their production flow is the uh, fourth largest in the world. So I think we're in a different place than Denmark and Uruguay. I suppose, but as I, as I mentioned, here in Canada, response to regulation from large platforms has occurred. I mean, literally has occurred in the last six months in response to the Online News Act. It occurred in Spain uh, and Germany in similar fashion on, on that issue with respect to regulation. And even on the production side, we have seen, especially where tax credits uh, systems are changed in various provinces, there is a direct response to uh, whether or not production continues to occur. Uh, why? Because the economic equation associated with making those decisions changes. So if, if production houses will make changes based on the absence or availability of tax credits, the notion that there are significant increases in the costs they're facing um, strikes me as pretty likely that, of course, you're going to respond in some fashion. It doesn't mean that they're going to exit the market. I don't, I don't think I'm going to lose my Netflix subscription, um, regardless of what you happen to say, or at least the availability of a Netflix subscription. But are they going to respond either by way of higher fees or by altering the way in which they produce or perhaps scaling back some of the production, taking that into account? We're already seeing streamer scale back production on a global basis as the economics of that sector changes. It's not clear to me why Canada, whether fourth or 
whatever the number happens to be, would be immune from those considerations. Um, you've talked in terms of, oh, I've got one more, and then I can get into my own. Um, so if foreign online undertakings were to become eligible uh, for some of the existing funds to which traditional Canadian broadcasters currently contribute, would you support a system where online undertakings direct basic contributions to one or several of these funds? Well, I think it, it seems to me if I hear the, the word equity and equitable raised frequently during these hearings, and it would seem to be only equitable that if there's a requirement to contribute, there's the, the, those funds then become available to the same organizations that are making some of those contributions. I think to me that that ought to be basic table stakes. And I take a look as well at um, the USMCA and some of our trade obligations and certainly raise questions about the prospect of creating mandated payments without the possibility of uh, being able to um, apply in similar fashion or be eligible for some of those same resulting funds. Eligibility in this country generally flows through producers who access the funds. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that any access would retain that, um, that venue, that avenue for contributions. Well, I think we've seen a number of different types of, produ of different types of producers in the country. And, you know, my sense, especially as this, as, as Bill C-11, which has opened the door to so many different issues, including things around definition of CanCon and the like, it does strike me that, that I would hope that there will be many issues that will be put on, on the table as we think about what a system that clearly is, is undergoing a pretty significant overhaul. And there's an opportunity to, to rethink or, you know, conduct, I think, a new evaluation on how the system functions and how it ought best to function with some of these new participants um, as part of the process. Commissioner Levy continued with a key question. Do consumers and competition factor into their analysis at all? I argued that they must, and that this actually helps explain why the Commission ought to address all of the Bill C-11 issues before it mandates interim payments. She didn't sound convinced, noting that the Commission faces a range of policy objectives, including assistance for the news sector. You, you said in your presentation that um, competition and consumer choice should be at the center of our um, considerations. Yeah. However, we have an act and we have a policy direction um, that makes very clear that there are very significant social policy objectives that we must try to meet. How do you propose we do that uh, with, the, with your considerations front and center? I see some of my considerations front and center in those policy, in both the policy direction and in, in, the, in the broadcast policy. My concern, and as I mentioned, one of the reasons that I felt it um, necessary to, to come forward is that I feel that too often those policy objectives don't get the kind of, kind of hearing and consideration that they Which, that they which ones to. in particular? Well, there's, talk, there's discussion around affordability in the policy direction. There's talk about consumer choice directly in the in the policy direction, and and so and and there is in the Broadcasting Act objectives as well 
um, references to choice and access and affordability. These seem to me, there is, this seems to be sine qua non of what, we're, uh, what we ought to be trying to achieve. Uh, maybe it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing, but there is no broadcasting system without the consumer. There is no broadcasting system unless people are willing to help support it. And if we, if we are in this era where we are moving more and more towards uh, streaming-based services, I think there's a consensus that that's the case. Uh, ensuring that Canadians have that access, both uh, certainly from a consumer perspective and have that kind of choice that allows or enables many different services previously that may not have been available for many, especially for many communities that may be newer to Canada that want to have a connection and a link back home. Uh, and the access to those kinds of services becomes so essential uh, that it seems to me that it's absolutely critical and written within our Broadcasting Act policy objectives and within the, the policy direction that you've received to ensure that that's a core part. Now, that doesn't mean that the only thing you think about is consumers, but to me, that's the starting point. And then I think there is an opportunity, and it's quite clear within the policy, within both the Broadcasting Act policies as well as in the policy direction, that you are to consider some of the other things more broadly within um, support for the sector, different communities and the like. Um, I think, once again, one of the reasons why it would be ideal to ensure that you've got all the various aspects of this broadcasting policy addressed before we kind of launch ahead with something is that many of the kinds of objectives may well be met uh, through some of those issues that you've yet to address but are forthcoming as part of your hearings. But at this point, um, we have, uh, we have, uh, as I said, um, in the directive and the act, uh, we are tasked um, and tasked um, understandably with uh, meeting social policy objectives for equity-seeking groups to try to, to try to create more fairness in the system, to address uh, legislation such as the Accessibility Act, to <clears throat> try to ensure that um, Canadians have a chance to participate in, in our proceedings and so forth. Yeah. Those are all uh, issues that also have to be covered in what we're doing, yeah. and they are urgent. Uh, the issue of news is urgent. So there is a lot of pressure to do something at this stage of the process mm -hmm. that will go some way to addressing some of those very obvious and understandable desires um, by uh, not only the policy makers, but by Canadians themselves. Of course. The Broadcasting Act objectives speak to that. I think they often speak to them within a context of afford delivery of programming at affordable rates, about promotion of Canadian content. There's a range of different ways to achieve some of those objectives. And, uh, and so part of, part of it is to address things like discoverability, uh, content-related issues that appear on these various services uh, beyond just the bare contribution that we're talking about and doing so in a way that ensures that we do um, ensure that Canadians have the kind of choice and that these services remain affordable, which also, as I say, is included directly in the objectives themselves. In other issues, on, on some of the other issues, news, for example, yeah, of course, news is urgent. And quite literally yesterday, uh, last week, we had an announcement of a deal 
um, with government and Google in which the parliamentary budget officer suggests that 75% or 75 million of that is headed to broadcasters. Uh, is not, there's a, a very small portion that's actually available um, to print and, and digital outlets. I don't know if that's a, a game changer per se. I know that certainly some, some entities have spoken favorably about the fact that that's the, the outcome that they've got. Um, but it seems to me that within, I believe, the policy direction as well, it speaks to considering this within the broader context of a range of things that are taking place. And in news, we've had a pretty clear approach from the government that includes expansion of the labor journalism tax credit, the, the, the enactment of the Online News Act, um, the, the notion that we need Netflix to pay for news strikes me as just highly disconnected from what that service is about. And I have a hard time seeing where that connection gets made. That, that appears to be nothing more than you're here and this is what we want you to, to fund just because you happen to be here. They're here, tax them. If they're here, make sure that Canadian content receives the kind of visibility that we think is essential. Um, there's a number of things that we can be doing and recognize the contributions and the spending they're already making, and this is true for any number of entities. But I guess from my perspective, there, there needs to be some kind of, of linkage between saying we want you to fund this particular objective because it's an important objective and the kind of operations that the, that organization has. Otherwise, once again, uh, I think it does open the risk that some of these organizations may say that Canada's either entry costs for services that are not already here or uh, Canada's operating costs for those that are, um, has rendered this less economic and it's either Canadian consumers that ultimately foot the bill um, or the, we see a change in the way that they operate within the country itself. And those are, I think, real risks that have to be factored as well. And you're right, these are, these are, there are a lot of challenging competing objectives that you're facing. And uh, I mean, that's why I assume you're holding a three-week hearing to ensure that you hear from all those different perspectives. Commissioner Levy concluded by turning to cultural sovereignty concerns, raising what I see as the specter of the CRTC as primarily a market protection agency. My last question, uh, before I turn it over to uh, my colleagues, who uh, I'm sure will have many, um, you know, competition and consumer choice are, of course, very important, but it's in the Canadian context. And it strikes me that no country that cares for its cultural sovereignty is prepared to allow um, others to simply walk in and uh, eat everybody's lunch and walk off. So um, I just leave you with the with the question that in this uh, sort of blank page that uh, we're supposed to be looking at uh, as we redo a broadcasting system, uh, the issue of the, the Canadian cultural sovereignty should be also a front and center consideration. Well, ab absolutely. Um, there's a, you know, our culture is an incredibly important dimension here. I'm not sure that either erecting walls as a, as a mechanism to safeguard against some of these new entrants is the ideal way to do it. It does seem to me if we have policy objectives, either by way of seeking to support some of the existing entrants um, or by way of, of, of trying to support not even existing, but not existing entrants, rather existing players, or trying to support 
other policy objectives that we might have. Tax system provides a pretty good mechanism for doing that. Digital services tax, um, some estimates would raise billions of dollars. It's a, to me, uh, a far more transparent and open way to ensure that there is the kind of support that you're talking about uh, by making these companies pay. Um, and so it's not about, you know, the, the notion of a free lunch shouldn't be, I think, on anybody's agenda. Um, but nor should be the notion that uh, this is just free cash to fund whatever we want. And to the extent to which it is cash to fund things that we want, then the more appropriate mechanism for doing much of that, I think, comes through the taxation system. The discussion then shifted to Commissioner Nirmala Naidu, who had one question about why France's approach wasn't the right comparison for Canada. You mentioned that France enforces investment obligations of 20 to 25 percent of net annual turnover to funding French or European productions. So I'm wondering if you can comment on France's approach and clarify why you think that kind of regulation wouldn't work here in Canada. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, certainly and when we look at what I think, frankly, is an outlier in, com in comparison to most other countries within the EU. I think my submission included a chart that highlighted just how, how far it goes. It clearly has been amongst the most aggressive in this regard. But I also think that it sits in a somewhat different place than, than we do. We have been, as was noted, uh, a significant success point for production. But we do so in part because we're a short flight um, from some of the major hubs in the United States, offer uh, some of the language opportunities, offer some of the tax uh, credits and of course have, have much of that talent there. Um, I do, I, and I think, and I certainly hope that much of that will, will remain in place. Um, but I do think that we find ourselves um, in what is a true, com in, in, a, in, a, in a place of competition that is somewhat unlike what the existed, what, what it looks like in France. And so that uh, were we to move in a similar sort of way, the ability for some of those same players, not to, as I say, not as I was saying earlier with Commissioner Levy, not necessarily exit the market, but to make adjustments in, in what they do, I think is, would likely be a very real consideration. As I say, I think we've seen that take place uh, in Canada when provinces have made adjustments in some of their tax credit systems. Uh, market responds, and market undoubtedly would respond here too. Vice Chair and Bear we heard from at the top of this episode, defended the long-standing contributions approach of the CRTC, noting some of what I was saying was a departure from the past that she feared could create some gaps. I responded by providing several thoughts. Mr. Geist, I, I'm trying to um, marry your uh, answer to Commissioner Levy's last question on taxation with... Um, the approach that you're suggesting that we take to the distribution of the the regulatory costs. So um, the commission's approach. I mean, you could you could argue that the the traditional regulatory approach has been, you know, there's a cost of entry. Um, you contribute to the system. There are areas that um, are experiencing market failure whether you call them scripted drama or children's programming or uh, accessibility programming or indigenous programming. And, and then that contribution to the system is allocated by the commission mm -hmm. through obligations, et cetera. So I, I hear that what you're suggesting is that those, um, the contributions that are 
addressing particular areas of market failure should be aligned with areas in which the streamers are currently operating. So, for example, if they're not doing news, they shouldn't contribute to news. If they're in scripted drama, they should they should contribute to scripted drama. So that presupposes a, like a, a less of a taxation model and more of a, a custom based on your business model approach, which is a departure from how the commission has approached these areas of market failure in the past. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering how you address, the, the, if you go with this approach, there will invariably remain gaps in the system. So I'm wondering how you deal with those gaps under an approach that, that's less taxation and more custom. Yeah. yeah, thanks for that question. I, I guess I would say several things in response. First off, I want to emphasize my view here is that I think we need to get the, uh, a full sense of the costs, which is one reason why that I have some concerns about an interim approach where many of the other costs may be left for another day. Uh, I think in terms of crises in sectors, I think we need to ensure that we are looking everywhere. I look at uh, the success of Skyship Entertainment, for example, in the children's space um, to highlight that there are some significant success stories out there that are leveraging what takes place online right now. Um, but, and, and then thirdly, I would say, and I'll come to this issue of gaps in just a sec, and thirdly, I would note that uh, the notion that this may be, that there may be some departure from some of the approaches, it sure feels like we are in, in a, we are definitely at the departure gate right now um, in terms of the way a lot of things have functioned. I mean, I think the inclusion of uh, online undertakings, the prospect of changing some of the definitions that we have, even uh, as fundamental as what it means, uh, of what some of our CanCon definitions tells me that um, we're already in a space where there are a lot of changes taking place, and I'm not sure why some particular approaches or long-standing, some approaches might have been sacrosanct, whereas some of many of these other ones, which many of them seem to me to be absolutely uh, critical for many years um, wouldn't all have been put on the table. Uh, they've been put on the table, but in terms of of the gaps, I guess my my honest response would be that that I'm not convinced that it is the CRTC's role to fix every sector or every particular area that may be facing some some challenges. And um, you know, I think part of the problem, and, and there's no doubt that as as I look at the, these last few weeks and over the next few days, um, there are many that do look at look at you for exactly that. They do look at the CRTC and they say, "I'm in crisis. Please help." And uh, and we see that coming across the board. I must admit, it, it seems to me that there are th there are some exceptionally important things that you can do that are economic, that involve cultural sovereignty, that that range a whole whole range of different things, but. Um, I don't think it's necessarily or ought to be your role to fix every single challenge that's out there. And in fact, I think even what I read within the policy direction is recognition of that. It speaks, for example, of the need to consider this within a broader context of things that may be taking place, place both domestically and internationally. And so in the context of news, uh, since that obviously keeps get, is, has been raised on a number of occasions, I can't think of another sector in this sort of broad space where we have seen a more active and engaged federal government in particular, and we also now see some provinces talking about getting actively engaged, than in the news sector. That doesn't mean they've managed to fix these issues, but we are, 
uh, as taxpayers, literally throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at these issues in, uh, in tax credits. We've got uh, legislation that the government's introduced to try to bring others into the floor. Now, there is still surely a potential role here for the CRTC, eh, not potential, there is a role here for the CRTC. Uh, but um, is it the role of every online undertaking to help solve that particular policy objective? I would argue it's not. The discussion then concluded with some questions from Chair Atreides, who defended the interim or initial base contribution approach that the CRTC seems inclined to follow, and then inviting me to provide some final remarks. You talked about how businesses need certainty. Um, the way we have set up this proceeding, and I know that you're very familiar with that, um, we are taking a phased approach. By putting in place an initial base contribution, does that not give certainty to businesses in the short term as opposed to, you know, waiting a couple of years, doing the, the, the full review and then deciding at that point? Well, it gives them in a very, very short term a, a sense of what that contribution might be, to be sure. But I think that the timelines for many businesses, whether potential new entrants or those that are already here, typically run beyond that. So might they be willing to, you know, just eat those costs and say, well, we'll wait to see what some of the other costs happen to be or some of the other regulations happen to be in and then ultimately make the choices, you know, in other words, Will they punt some of the decisions and basically say, okay? Um, will they raise some, uh, some of the immediate costs? We're already seeing, of course, costs raise on all sorts of things, and so they may well simply seek to pass along some of those costs and basically test it out. You know, CRTC increased the costs. What, what's the prospect that we begin to see as we saw, for example, for a long time in, uh, in satellite radio where the consumer sees a line item um, that speaks to the cost. And years ago, we used to have it on the telecom side too, with system access fees and other sorts of, thi uh, sorts of things where the providers seek to make clear that these costs are actually costs that uh, they feel are being imposed upon them. Do they use that interim period to say, okay, here's the new Bill C-11 cost uh, or the new CRTC cost that we are now facing as, as part of this service and they, and they kind of lump that in. I mean, all of these things are possible. I just, I just think that consistent with some of the earlier questions about sort of the, the broad range of policy objectives that are both in the act and in the policy direction and what you are tasked to achieve, um, this is a slice of that. And it seems to me that we are better off from both a certainty perspective and from a competition and consumer perspective, and frankly, I think from just a good policy perspective, uh, ironing out as many of these core issues as possible. And this was always pretty readily apparent, I thought, from day one. I, I spent a lot of time following the hearings and appearing before, uh, before members of parliament, and it was always readily apparent that this was going to be a lengthy process. I must say, I thought you moved very, very quickly um, without even having a fi final policy direction in place to try to move, move ahead with this. But I think everybody recognized that legislation was step one. And to the extent to which you're faced with just the myriad of policy issues, that was a governmental choice uh, to leave many of those issues to the CRTC to determine. Okay, thank you for that. And then um, you've repeated a couple of mantras back to us in terms of do no harm, putting Canadians at the center of the communication yeah. system. Um, if the CRTC does nothing right now, 
are we causing any harm? It's an interesting question. Um, I guess my view would be no. Um, I think that you'll, uh, I mean, it's, it's not doing nothing. I mean, I assume there will be a decision and there will be, uh, so there's some visibility of where you are headed on a number of issues and you will then continue on with a number of the other, other things. So I don't think it's doing nothing. It's the, I guess the question is more if you do nothing in terms of requiring an interim contribution. Um, and to that point, no, I, I, I don't think uh, th that that's the case. I mean, yes, you've had many who come up here um, who are quite, who are looking for, who are of the view that um, someone's going to cut them a check or there's going to be some sort of funding available pretty soon and that will be seen as uh, a disappointment if it takes an extra six months or an extra year or whatever the timeline happens to be. It seems to me the government was a bit disappointed when uh, there's the prospect of a delay in a digital services tax. There was revenues they were hoping to get from the platforms. It may take a little bit longer. Um, but I, I think that especially in this area, and we've heard from any number of witnesses who talk about this is a long game um, and talk about how this is still very at a relatively early stage, um, I think we're better off getting it right than getting it quick. Okay, thank you for that. Um, we will turn things back over to you for any concluding remarks. Okay, I, I didn't come with, with concluding remarks, so I'll, I'll just, I'll wrap up by saying thank you both for the engaging questions, and, 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 and I hope thank you for ensuring, I know we'll have some other people who may represent some of those consumer perspectives uh, later, but I think um, there are, I think it really is important to emphasize that um, there can be, at times, a bit of a bubble. Um, I think in this space, it's a, the communications area is a really interesting um, world. Everyone seems to know one another, um, have been actively engaged in these issues for a very long time, and that prism of this is all about finding ways to make sure that system continues, sometimes without the perspective of well, who are we ultimately seeking to serve at the end of the day, um, at times may run the, the risk of being missed. And so to me, it becomes so essential to, to recognize, I guess just to reiterate that without consumers at the end of the day without people who are there to support this system this is the, the system simply ceases to exist in the way that we think of it that's the law bites podcast for this week if you have comments suggestions or other feedback write to law bites at pobox.com follow the podcast on twitter at law bites pod or michael geist at mgeist you can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening.